Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, August 8th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Well, nice and relaxed. Had a weekend of binge reading and cat sitting, so enjoyed that and uh, feeling pretty charged. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I hit my first home run in softball today, which was fun, Um, and... Got to see my grandparents yesterday for the first time in a while. And, and just so nice not having that same level of fear, right? Obviously, you're still going to interact with people outside, take the necessary precautions, but it just feels good to have those interactions and not have that same worry. And it felt really good. And I'm, I'm really excited for things to continue to open despite some of the uh, increasing numbers as of recently. (laughs) Yeah, I don't quite know what the new, new normal is gonna look like in the long term. I think Israel gave out like booster shots, third rounds of vaccinations a little while ago. And looking back at last year, it did get a lot better during the summer and then worse during the fall. But I'm mostly telling that quiet voice in my head to shut up until we get to October, November and see how things are then. Yep. Get vaccinated, folks. We we need to keep it going. <laughs> All right. Uh, other reasons I'm excited is the Blue Jays are awesome right now. Nine and two in their last or 11 and uh, nine and two at their homestand, finally back in Toronto, making a splash, returning. Um summer league underway in the nba it seems like we're constantly having basketball we went right from the nba finals into olympic basketball into summer league and then we're going right into preseason after that so no real breaks on the calendar which i love um the olympics just wrapping up it was a fantastic two weeks paralympics underway in uh, two more weeks we have to wait for that but looking forward to those and then lots of little things here and there to talk about sports have been active and usually in august things slow down uh but luckily we have more than enough to talk about on today's pod so i'm i'm pumped to get into it yeah let's get right into it then all righty the olympic basketball is where i want to start in our basketball storyline segment uh team usa losing to france in the first game of pool play of the tournament uh, lots of hesitancy from fans and, and neutral observers about this team. Everyone had something to say, including myself, when they struggled in their exhibition games. But they came back. They absolutely drubbed all of the other teams on their way to the gold medal final and then made a convincing statement. And in the end, for them, it was athleticism that really put them over the top. They were just one through five able to to defend really consistently and they finally started taking advantage of the physicality that FIBA basketball enables it's it's they struggled a little offensively looking for calls that they're not used to but then when they adjusted to the non-calls they started using it to their advantage on the defensive end and these are the best athletes in the tournament overall and they were just able to keep guys in front of them consistently and stop everything from 
flowing in a natural way. And everyone struggled with that. And even France, like their guards were not producing. They had to try going to a double seven footer lineup late with Gobert and Poirier um, because that was seemed to be the only thing that was working, but wasn't enough. And Kevin Durant was one point shy of three straight 30 point gold medal games uh, with 29, really impressive. And Tatum as well played really well. Um, and what a summer for Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. The first set of teammates uh, besides Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen to win an NBA championship and a gold medal in the same year. Really, really cool stuff. It's the summer of, uh, of them. So shout out. And yeah, really impressive stuff. In the bronze medal match, Patty Mills turned into uh, prime Steph Curry with 42 points as they beat Slovenia, a disappointing end to Slovenia's tournament after their uh, dark horse run to the semifinals. And you got to imagine that they're just going to keep getting better as Luka Doncic gets better. And uh, that's a big tournament for them to inspire a lot of kids in Slovenia to pick up basketball. So that's just always the thing you love to see from the Olympics is even if someone doesn't finish on the podium, there's a lot of inspiration that comes out of it for these countries to continue to grow in sport. And it's only going to make things better down the line. Yeah. You've got to think if you're a 15, 16 year old kid playing basketball right now in Slovenia and you have some talent, but not quite the dedication or perseverance. If you watch that, what that will do for you over the next couple of years. And who knows what that impact might look like next time the Olympics come bit of a thankless task, I feel like, for the Team USA players. I, I, everyone expects them to win, so at the end of the day, them winning doesn't feel like that big of a deal, but probably the most uphill climb USA has had for Olympic gold in a long time. So props to adjusting to that better style of basketball. Yeah, it was, it was well done by them. And uh, Draymond has taken the opportunity over the last couple of days to go back and find every single tweet that someone posted as a hate and he's quote tweeted it and he's, he's, it's great. I love it. He's just, he finds the receipts, right? It's fantastic. That's the great thing about Twitter is these athletes can go and find it and say, all right, you didn't believe in us. Now look at what we did. Um, so really cool. And he's going to have plenty of opportunity to do that this season with the Warriors uh, in the upcoming NBA season, because I feel like some folks will will definitely count them out. I don't think anything that puts NBA stars more on Twitter can necessarily be called a great thing, but I see a point. Yeah. CJ McCollum, what's he going to do now? He uh, just got elected the president of the NBA Players Association, Chris Paul, finally stepping down, did not um, choose to run again for another term. And uh, so he's going to have to spend his time doing administrative duties as opposed to spending all his time on Twitter. He's a very active player. <laughs> that just made me remind, or that reminded me of it. See what that effect has on the court. Yeah. Hey, if you're Philadelphia, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for a Simmons partner. <laughs> And, and Lillard's not on the table. Speaking of the NBA, Summer League is underway. And I am so excited because I love watching all of these young kids play. Um, it's really fun to get your first look at players. And, and this is a bit more for like the hardcore basketball fans where 
Um, the casual fan will have no idea this is going on and they'll be waiting for the season to start where they get their first look at Scotty Barnes, at Cade Cunningham, at Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. But the hoop heads know that summer league is where you get to really make your first impressions. And some guys come out looking incredible, Kevin Knox, and then not play a single minute uh, for the Knicks. So it, it's you definitely have to temper your expectations. It's a lot like preseason in the fact where guys can look good and then maybe not have the same type of success in the NBA. But at the same time, it's really fun to get excited about something. So why not enjoy it? And I really enjoyed watching Scotty Barnes today on the Raptors. He was really, really solid, um, probably starting halfway through the first quarter on for the rest of the game. I think you could tell the the speed of the game was high and um, some more athletes than he was used to facing. He started one of five from the field, but he knocked down a three in that first half. He used his size well, finishing in traffic. He had a great strip, uh, just picked the guy's pocket of a much smaller point guard, went back the other way, was setting up guys, uh, either getting double teamed in the low posts and finding someone with his height, or he had a couple great lead passes in transition. And overall, I thought he looked a little bit slow out there, but that might just be his style of play. Um, I think he'll definitely pick things up, but like his length is instantly uh, stands out right away. Like he just swallows guys when he decides to lock in on them. I think he'll have some trouble with the really quick guards, but many players in the NBA do have trouble with quick guards. So that's not saying much, Uh, but I really love what he showed and he got, he was all over the stat sheet, 18 points, uh, five offensive rebounds, five defensive rebounds, five assists, one block, two steals, a really, really solid opening performance from Scotty Barnes. And I wanted to shout him out. And then I wanted to shout out Malachi Flynn, who was the star for the Raptors in this game, 23 points, uh, knocked down four threes, including one really deep three uh, right in the face of Miles McBride, one of the Knicks uh, first round draft picks. And uh, him and Obi Toppin, two, two second year players were going at it. Obi had 24 points in the game, led all scores, was really, really fun to watch him. He was bouncy, he was in the post, he took a couple threes. He maybe looks like he's developing his outside game a little bit more to fit with that Knicks system. Um, And then other guys I wanted to touch on, David Johnson, nothing really that exciting yet. We'll see if he can get his shooting shooting going. And then uh, Delano Banton, one of the other second round picks for the Raptors. 6'9 point guard is what his listed position is. Um, He had three blocks in this game, one in the corner that was really lovely, didn't bite on any fakes. And then late in the shot clock, I tried to get it up and he just swatted it out of bounds. Um, He had quite a few turnovers. He looked a lot more solid defensively and he's going to be a decent athlete, but uh, you worry about he's going to need a lot of time in the G League to really season and understand pick and roll playmaking, uh, setting up offenses, finding his shot because he, he definitely struggled on the offensive end, but that's what summer league's all about is learning in, in, in a professional context. And, uh, there were lots of four current Raptors out at the game Fred Van Vliet, Pascal, OG, Gary Trent, Ken Birch were all there in attendance. Nick nurse was there all like, it's a big event. Everyone's going to watch their future teammates play. So it's, it's really fun. And uh, I enjoyed, I basically watched the whole summer league game today and there's a bunch going on right now. I know Cleveland and Houston are playing. Uh, so Jalen green, Evan Mobley can't wait to go and watch some of the highlights from that. 
Yeah, and you love that for Scotty Barnes, what he's bringing most to the G League because it translates well for a player who can't quite necessarily keep up at an offensive level with the NBA. You have to give the coach some reason to put you in. And if you can guard positions two through four, say, you have the playmaking to help bolster the offense. You can hit your open shots in the flow of the offense and you don't turn the ball over much, then you're going to find your minutes and the offensive creation that we'd hope to see would come after. So love that for him. Love that Malachi's getting a chance in summer league after he didn't last year. I'm so optimistic about this team's future, but what I love most of all is maybe the first example I've seen of the new rule about natural shooting motions being implemented with somewhere in uh, the highlight that caught my eye, somewhere in the third quarter, quickly from like seven, eight feet back from the three-point line, pulls up, fakes a shooting motion, gets the Raptor jumping forward, and then he jumps right into the Raptor. Instead of getting three easy foul shots, he gets an offensive foul called on him. That made my day. It is going to be very, very interesting to see how they respond, especially most of the guys coming out of college or who haven't played professionally aren't going to be guys who pull off those kind of moves that quickly did, but it will really be interesting to see some of these second year, third year players who are playing in summer league, who are used to now pulling off some of those moves, how they respond. And it's great. Like the NBA has consistently used the G league and summer league over the last couple of seasons to test out rule changes, to test out game changes. And so it's an opportunity for them to experiment, um, see what the results are, see what the reactions are. I think overwhelmingly it's going to be positive uh, towards not having that sort of thing. It's just so frustrating to watch guys flop in dudes and, and really like it's, it's dangerous for a defender when they're up in the air and, and someone's jumping into you to just try and create contact. So uh, I love it. <laughs> we'll see how much we love it when uh, Malachi doesn't get that call in the next game, but um, yeah, it is. It, it was a noticeable thing and, and uh, we'll see how it happens moving forward with that. The Raptors chose the best time to get rid of Lowry with this. Uh, the factual statement. <laughs> yeah. And if that play happens five feet in the three point line, then you get the player jumping up to defend you and you've actually got the space to step off and take an open shot. So your pump fake is rewarded with an open shot. Look, it's just, you can't get easy free throws that way. So it doesn't kill the offense. It just makes you use it to actually try and score within the game instead of outside. I'm really interested to see with this summer league example going on, how the NBA players who have been doing this for a lot longer than one or two years adapt once the regular season kicks off. So they'll have a chance to get their feet wet with it, of course, yeah. in the preseason. I think it will be a learning curve, but the thing with the, some of these guys that really will be affected the most by it is they're just so talented that they're going to find a new way to find the margins. So, um, but it is interesting to see how they'll go about doing that, right? To follow on and see okay, I can't do this any longer. So what's my next move and shift in order to create space and create contact to, to get to the foul line to create offense. And that's what's so fun is that they're gifted at it. Uh. 
don't know if it's fun when they're gifted that game to the foul line for me, but yeah. It, it's an important thing you have to have as a player is being able to draw fouls. That's like all the greats, that's where they get a lot of their points is at the foul line. So it is an important step in, in the progression. It, it also just means that guys aren't scared of contact. That's another big indicator is when you're getting to the free throw line, it means you're really attacking the basket consistently over and over again, rather than shying away and pulling up for a floater instead of attacking a shot block or things like that. So that's kind of what free throws will even mean more going forward rather than the kind of half heartedly jumping into the side and getting free throws. Free throws actually will now be an even more pure indicator of how many fouls guys can truly draw. I'm not optimistic, but we can only hope. <laughs> I want to take a quick second here to highlight already probably the play of summer league, Kai Jones. This was a guy who I had mocked going to Charlotte uh, at 11, but ended up being very high on him. Uh, I loved him because he was just like maybe the best pure raw athlete in the draft in terms of jumping quickness, uh, that sort of thing. Um, obviously I was really high on him and had him going a lot higher than he should have gone. And Charlotte was able to grab him later in the first round. And it is going to be super, super fun to watch Kai Jones and Miles Bridges catch lobs from Lamelo Ball. But he pump fake, uh, shout out Michael Beasley, somehow still finding his way around uh, the NBA, drives in and absolutely, it is a Blake Griffin-esque dunk over Kenneth Freed, another NBA uh, journeyman now at this point in his career, but less of a dunk and more of a throw from maybe three feet out into the basket. I don't know, Max, if you've seen that yet, but I recommend you, you go watch it during our break, quite the dunk from Kai Jones and just makes me excited to watch him uh, go alongside LaMelo ball in this upcoming season. Charlotte may have the new uh, lob city on their hands. All right. Uh, that's it for summer league, I guess. The last basketball news I have on tap is Andre Iguodala is returning to the Golden State Warriors and also said in an interview that he plans to retire there. Um, this is not the Andre Iguodala of five, six years ago when he won finals MVP for the Golden State Warriors purely for defending LeBron in that series. Um, but still a veteran presence with great hands inside. He always comes up with a couple clutch steals and um, can still knock down the three enough that he provides a threat and, and can be a good complimentary cutter in that Warriors offense. He knows it, so he'll play well in it. I, I like the signing there. It's, it's pretty low risk um, for Golden State and just adds another wing in there to their stable. And then uh, Kelly Oubre, just talking about Lob City, it's another – kind of bouncy wing to add to LaMelo's toy collection. Uh, but Kelly Ubri, a solid pickup for him to be a little bit of insurance for Gordon Hayward, who's been injury prone in the past and is a guy that can give you some energy off the bench as a three and D player and, and maybe even as a slasher. So um, I like both of those pickups for both those teams. And yeah, it just, it makes me excited for this Hornets season. They are definitely going to be another league pass team for sure to, to follow throughout the NBA season. You've said that so many times. I'm starting to wonder if you have four sets of eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of highlights and 
honestly, I may have to just go ahead and make the investment in league pass this year uh, to be able to just flip between games. We shall see. That's going to do it for basketball storylines. Uh, why don't we jump right into Tokyo Bros, our last Tokyo Bros segment for two weeks before mayhaps uh, we'll cover a little bit of the Paralympic Games. Um, always close to my heart because I have been to the Para Pan Am Games in Toronto and seen some of the amazing things that get done there. Uh, so definitely will be some stories that come out of that that we'll probably touch on. Uh, but we will wrap up the Olympic coverage on this podcast with a couple notes. Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi become the first basketball players to win five medals. They are 38 and 0 all time in the Olympics. Um, this just adds to the long, long list of incredible accomplishments these two have made. Truly, two of two of the goats of women's basketball and really impressive stuff. Uh, and even Taurasi at her age was still toying with some of the uh, Japanese guards in their game look like they're having a lot of fun that u.s team is so stacked like it's not even close them still with the rest of the competition and um another one of those stories where japan none of their players play in the wmba uh or i think in the australian league but they had a fantastic system and a bit of a, a cinderella story run and now in, in Japan, if you're a little girl waking up in the morning and you're going to basketball camp and your heart's not in it, you look up and you see the incredible things that this woman's team has done. And it just, it inspires more uh, participation in sport and hopefully will grow more basketball programs around the world so that they can catch up to this U.S. team that is just full of MVPs and all-time greats uh, <laughs> on the same team. It's like we talk about the men's team's dominance, but the women's team is just even more dominant. They're incredible. Yeah. Well, speaking of countries catching up to the USA, we can speak a little firsthand of that with Canada. Oh, yeah. After beating the US in the semifinals, take home the gold against Sweden for their first ever Olympic gold in women's soccer. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was an incredible game. Uh, Christine Sinclair drawing the penalty in the second half. Jesse Fleming, the London girl, shout out London, Ontario, with the game-tying penalty. Uh, then Canada fights and fights their way through extra time. couple of close calls. They get to penalties. And when it initially got to penalties, I was like, this is in the bag. Stephanie Labe, the keeper, smiled the entire time through penalties. Like psycho energy from her. That was uh, the best shootout I've ever watched. Yeah, it was pretty exciting, wasn't it? A lot of people were complaining about, I don't know, the quality of some of the penalties weren't great, but in terms of excitement and entertainment factor, really, really fun. And uh, I'm surprised I didn't get any noise complaints from my neighbors here in my apartment building, but I was pa pacing around, screaming, yelling with excitement, and Canada down 2-1 in penalties. They had missed three in a row, and I know Julia Grosso had the game winner, but I, again, wanted to shout out Deanne Rose with maybe one of the most clutch penalties ever. Stephanie Labe saves it. She has to score to send it, to tie it and send it into sudden death penalties, and she picks the top corner. Like, the goalie gets the right way, and she just got it right up and over. That is such a precise spot and really, really gutsy to go for that with your entire uh, gold medal chance on the line, but she sniped it. 
and then Grosso, of course, the rest is history there with her penalty. Really, really awesome stuff from the Canadians. And uh, in the post game, they were talking with, I think, the one of the heads of the CONCACAF Women's Cup, which is like the North American Confederation. They now have the FIFA World Champions and the Olympic gold medalists. So uh, UEFA Women's you may have the bigger organization, but North America is coming for you in the world of football. So a uh, really fun result. And yeah, shout out to our woman, man. That was really awesome to see. Yeah, man. They really had to survive during that extra time. Eh? I, <laughs> it felt like they were kind of turtling there, almost just waiting for the shootout. Fuck the bus. But yeah, that I, if I ever watch a Olympic hockey match, go to shootout, that's, for any elimination, I'm going to be de- just bored, upset, devastated, and angry at the rule. The fact that that's a rule. Soccer, I understand it can take a lot longer to score. So I'm a bit more sympathetic to having the shootout. But like I said earlier, just the the up and down of that, the missed shots, the tension there where we had to make the save on the fourth shot to stay in it we had to make the save on the fifth shot to stay in that goal was so clutch the momentum built we make the save and then like finish it with that shot that was and and wasn't an easy goal it got saved it just the ball decided it was going to stay and get in the net there and and not miss (laughs) yeah a reaction that was yeah. yeah it was and the last thing I really wanted to say about that, that was really, really great and, and symbolic was Christine Sinclair, right? The goat of maybe inter, all of international women's soccer, uh, the top scorer for either men and women all time in international competition, the greatest Canadian player we've ever had. She's subbed out halfway through the second half. She can't be there to take a penalty, carry the team through, but it's this new young generation of Canadian talent who are all playing on PSG, Manchester city, uh, Lyon, uh, Barcelona, like these incredible young women who are now carrying on the torch and grew up inspired by Christine Sinclair. Are the girls that get to take it to the finish line? I thought that was really cool. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, only up from here for Canadian soccer, right? It's this is only the beginning, and hopefully, you can build a really solid program for many, many Olympics to come. The next shout out for the Olympics I wanted to take was uh, to me. <laughs> Last night, I stayed up till twelve thirty, scratch that two a.m. By the time it was over, to watch the gold medal volleyball game between the number one ranked team USA and the number two ranked Brazil. Um, I kind of wish I had something, some reason to stay awake longer because this game ended up being a a bit of a snoozer just in the fact that USA uh, had lost to Brazil in London in that final and then uh, didn't end up seeing Brazil. They lost in the semis in, in Rio but they finally get their revenge and they just crushed them. It wasn't even close. Their defense was brilliant. Um, Annie, Annie Drews, uh, the left-handed outside hitter was just automatic in that game. Really, really cool stuff. And 
look at me. I was pulling it. I'm pulling out volleyball positions. I never really played volleyball, but I was invested in it and had fun. Uh, but it was a late night for me. Definitely, definitely felt it this morning. Yeah, I wish I could get you to stay up that late to watch record anything. <laughs> some real compulsion. Oh, we had a friend over, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, All right. I, uh, I guess one more Olympic. No- oh no, you've got. Yes, my last Olympic note is shout out to Kelsey Mil- Mitchell, um, winning in the women's track cycling Kieran race. Uh, she started s- cycling less than four years ago. So imagine winning an Olympic gold starting the sport four years ago like I mean cycling is something that most people will do as a hobby so it is a little bit easier to pick up in that regard like the sport itself but still to be an Olympic gold medalist and pull off some of the great tactics she won both of the it's best two out of three races against the Ukrainian and cool moment for Canada to seal its most successful Olympics in history for the summer games, 24 medals in total. Um, we were projected to have six, I believe. So a 400% increase on projections doesn't really get any better than that. And super proud of all the athletes who went and attended the games. Um, some of the London athletes were fantastic. Can't wait to see all the stories when they come back, but a really, really fun Olympics and definitely provided a bit of a distraction from everything going on in the world, which was much needed. Um, and they always put on a great show. So I really loved it. A plus stuff from me in terms of uh, the sports themselves. Yeah, a ton of Canadian history made from Penny Alexiak's now record setting number of Olympic medals for any Canadian, uh, just an overall historic performance for the Canadian women's swim team. Andre de Grasse cementing his legacy as a great Canadian Olympian, grabbing gold, all the more iconic after his last Olympic performance in the 200 with Usain Bolt, and then Damien Warner earning the well-deserved flag-bearing honor after his like Olympic record-setting 9,000-plus decathlon. Such an amazing Olympics from our athletes. I wish I could end it on that note, but I do have one more thing to say about the Olympics. I don't know if you heard about what I have here. This is good though. This is good. It will make a Venn diagram. So for those watching on YouTube, we have a Venn diagram. We have Tokyo bros and then combat corner. And this subject that Max is about to go into, it fits right in the middle of that Venn diagram and it'll be a perfect transition right into combat corner. My friend, take it away. We're kind of killing our transitions right now from basketball to Olympic basketball. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So I just had, we had the CBC like daytime replays of Olympic action going on in the house the other day. And this, they had the karate on, which just kind of caught my eye, mostly point sparring, but they're landing with damage. So I, it started off tracking a Canadian who then lost in the quarters to a Saudi athlete. I'm not even going to try and butcher the names, but that athlete then in the finals, after quickly getting ahead of his opponent, places a beautiful hook kick sort of at the charging opponent who then falls flat, knocked out. The Saudi athlete starts winning because, wow, I really landed those points home. And that's kind of the goal in any combat sport, you'd think. 
no follow-up action or anything. And then a couple minutes later, he's getting disqualified and they're talking about what a tough way to go. So as a complete outsider to the sport who knows nothing about it, hasn't followed it, but I say this in the name of combat sports, that is absolute garbage and you need to address your rules. My understanding is the ruling was based on he followed through the kick too much, but these guys at the karate level are the best in the world at in and out movement dodging. If you don't send the strike that hard and straight through, how are you ever going to land anything and score any points that what should have been like the most awesome moment in combat at the Olympics, a gold medal knockout turns into a disqualification, which I just thought sucked. All right, I'm, I think we're just going to keep rolling through and fully transition into combat corner now. A really upsetting main event made where the UFC puts on its fastest interim belt ever in terms of when the last time that the belt was fought for versus when the interim was awarded. And they do so with a heavyweight champion who would have been available to fight just four weeks after the interim belt was scheduled to fight for, which completely goes against the spirit of interim belts, which are meant to be in lieu of when the champion can't fight. The champion could fight. So the UFC just decided to slap some gold onto the number one contender's position. And that's what this fight really was between Cyril Gaon and Derek Lewis, a fight for the number one or number two contender's position, as Ngannou pointed out in a fun video. Stipe kind of has that number one contender's position until he retires or gets beaten. Uh, I'm sure he's going to fight for gold again. But Having said all that pre-ramble, there was a fight between Cyril Gaon, Derek Lewis. Cyril Gaon has made it through thus far to the top of the heavyweight division by absolutely outclassing everyone he's fought with. Uh, and Derek Lewis, a guy who is never out of a fight. You look at his two biggest wins, Alexander Volkov, he gets completely outstruck for 14 and a half minutes and manages to pull through and come up with one big punch to win him the fight. Uh, Curtis Blades, a wrestler who, once he takes you down, that round is kind of over at a loss. Lewis decides to just throw nothing and finds the knockout halfway through the second round after getting outstruck by a wrestler. So it was no surprise that Cyril Gaon was able to completely outclass Lewis in the striking. If you had seen those two fights, you knew that was what was going to happen. The question was, does Cyril Gaon ever let up on the gas? Does Derek Lewis find that one punch, find that moment where Cyril Gaon's guard is down? And the other question, maybe how boring is this fight going to be? Cyril Gaon's last two wins coming both by five-round decision where he outclassed his opponents uh, but never seriously hurt them, though the more recent Volkov won much more impressive than the Rosenstrike victory. Gaon completely aced both those tests. 
finishing Lewis in the third round and completely, completely outclassing him in the striking numbers. I think Volkov probably a tougher test than Lewis eight times out of 10. So if he did as well as he did against Volkov, not a shock that he did so well against Lewis. It was just a question of what happens when that one big punch comes? Can Gon keep his composure, especially as he looks for the finish, which the most impressive part of the fight, probably he had to get a little more reckless, get a little more into the danger zone to find that finish, applying the pressure, and he was able to do so. Lewis swinging wildly at him, but nothing landing significantly. So now Cyril Gon has taken out two of the top three knockout artists in the heavyweight division. Yarzinho Rosenstrike could not touch Cyril Gon. Derek Lewis could not touch Cyril Gon. You look at Francis Ngannou, who everyone he touches, he decimates, and you know it's going to take a guy who doesn't get touched, and that guy might be gone. As I said at the start of this, Stipe Miocic absolutely deserves his trilogy fight with Ngannou. One more shot at the gold, and he's not done until he says he's done or someone convincingly beats him again. But he's not clamoring for it the way he was for that rematch against DC. I'm sure when he is, he'll be ready. And in the meantime, this Gone versus Nganu fight for the heavyweight belt is going to be amazing. I'm so excited for it. The vicious knockout artist who's tempered himself, found his patience, and maximized his one-punch knockout ability as a prolific technical striker versus the guy who's torn through every striker in the UFC heavyweight division without so much as a bruise, really. Gone, it's an amazing matchup, and it's obviously going to be the next one booked with Gone getting the interim belt. Again, really just glorified number one contender. This is who fights for the belt next, but in at least a bright spot out of this kind of slap in the face to Nganu comes in a lot of hype in his next matchup and I cannot wait for that fight. Whoever wins it is going to be riding an incredible high. Uh, one last note I'll say on Siogon is I, no matter how he does against Nganu, I, it's too early I think to make a statement on his longevity at the top of heavyweight without him having fought any like true wrestlers. Curtis Blades and Stipe, kind of the only guys in the division who can really test him there right now. So I do hope to see that test it on him at some point in the next two years. All right, you got to be quiet for a good few minutes there. I hope you've rested and we're working on these one-take deliveries. So why don't you go right into football? Absolutely. <laughs> My favorite word. We have now... After our, our bit of longer segments, uh, we get to pick and choose a couple delicacies off of the various sports. And I want to start across the pond with the uh, football transfer window. And it has led to, of course, many, many transactions. Uh, the first two I want to highlight are Romelu Lukaku headed to Chelsea today and uh, Jack Grealish moving on to Manchester City. Two big moves there, guys who should have some success with some big British clubs. But the news, of course, the big news is Lionel Messi. 
signed a huge contract with Barcelona after last year. Many reports saying that he was unhappy and was going to ask out of the uh, organization at the end of his contract. But no, he was loyal. He's been there for many, 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 many years. I believe 21 years in total. And signed a contract, took a pay cut, but still obviously a massive deal to return. And just this week, La Liga, the league that Barcelona plays in, announced that their salary cap or their wage limit was going to be decreased. And that was due to a lot of teams suffering from the financial strain of the pandemic uh, for obvious reasons. And in doing so, they have handicapped themselves into a position where they are unable to afford Messi's contract, even at a 50% salary reduction, which is what Messi said in his past press conference that he would have taken. They still could not fit it under the wage limit. And so one of the greatest football players of all time. And again, one of the most loyal players, this is truly like Steph Curry leaving Golden State or Sidney Crosby leaving the Pittsburgh Penguins. If those guys had played even 10 years longer than they already have now, because Messi started in their youth system. Forever, he's been a part of this organization. He can no longer stay. Really, really emotional press conference uh, uh, today. And he's headed now to Paris Saint-Germain, which is going to be an absolutely uh, lethal offensive football club in this upcoming season with Messi, Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, Angel Di Maria. They're going to score at a prolific pace, which will be really, really fun. But for those fans of, of Barcelona and basically all of the other massive clubs in European football, it is going to be uh, a weird sight for sure and, and maybe not everyone's favorite. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing the electric football that these guys can play. No matter what your opinion on them is as a team with uh, some of the showboating, some of the toxic culture, they are still extremely talented individuals. And maybe Messi will bring some of his wholesome vibes to that team and help them become a much more enjoyable club to watch. This is earthquake news. Uh, it doesn't hit the same way over here in North America that it would, but this is huge news that's shaking the football world and it's going to completely change the landscape for next season of Champions League, of the uh, French League, of Barcelona's chances in their league and after this three-year contract is up with Paris Saint-Germain where will Messi go next now he knows he can leave Barcelona could we see him come to the MLS for his retirement party who knows but um, it is going to be strange seeing him don the uh, the blue jersey next season in uh, France's capital all right we will slide from footy Back to Canada, where the Edmonton Oilers lock up Darnell Nurse, their number one workhorse defenseman, uh, to an eight-year, $74 million contract. Uh, I believe that is eight by nine, correct me? Yes. Uh, no, eight by 9.5 or something. Eight by, eight yeah. by nine point, yeah. It's somewhere in the nine. Eight by nine point two five, I believe. That was bad. That was bad radio right there. <laughs> but 
a massive contract, slightly more than Dougie Hamilton's free agent contract with New Jersey, uh, slightly more than Kale McCarr's extension, more than Seth Jones's extension. So Edmonton is betting big that Darnell Nurse is going to be more valuable than those guys, which seems, to put it blunt, uh, a bit of a stretch because he doesn't provide that same offensive pop as some of those other guys. Incredibly great in his own zone. Um, and a huge physical presence. He's definitely was in line to get a great payday, but this feels a little bit like an overpay and one where Edmonton with already Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid making so much money, a defenseman now adding to their books. They're, they're starting to jump into Maple Leafs territory here with the, the contracts and paying a lot of money to only three or four guys. So we'll see if that works out for them, but uh, at the very least, Edmonton fans, don't think about the long term. Think about now. You have Darnell Nurse locked up, a fan favorite. He's going to be so fun to watch for the next eight seasons, so enjoy it while you can. Um, it's a good signing to just have him signed, but it's one of those things where we were all happy when Marner finally signed, when Nylander finally signed. But as it goes down, it, cre- when Castle finally signed. It, it creates some cap problems. Uh, so... That I'm sure that's already residing in the back of many Oilers fans' minds. But, um, yeah, we'll see if his performance continues to improve uh, as he steps into his prime for this big-time deal. That's it for me. For Oh, yeah, sorry. You got oh. thoughts on it? <laughs> well, it's most the other, I guess, variable in this or part of the story is nurse art. If you asked a year ago, Nurse wouldn't even be the number one defenseman considered on this Edmonton Oilers team. That would be Oscar Clefbaum, who uh, is probably going to be injured for the 2021-2022 season, and that's why they have to make this signing. But if he comes back and gets healthy, nurse slides a little the oilers could be really handcuffed into having to let the better defenseman walk because they paid a lot right now uh nurse even said i was expecting a three four year contract up next so you think the hyman deal on a similar turn i i don't know where mcdavid and drysidel's extensions sit presently but uh oilers management thinking long-term thinking bold We'll see if it pays off. Uh, all right. I think the last the National thing, Bank Open. Yeah. Tennis has arrived in the border of Canada with the National Bank, former known as Rogers Open. Uh, qualifiers already underway. The men's qualifiers all completely done. So the draw is short up. I think the women's qualifiers have one or two more days of play to go, but the men's draw will kick off tomorrow. And as a master's tournament, this fairly loaded with almost every name you could hope to see in that top 20, top 30 showing up um, minus Djokovic and I guess Berrettini, the two Wimbledon finalists and Djokovic, the hardcore killer. So not a complete accurate picture of who the top contenders come hard court season going to be but in the second half of hard court 2021 
definitely the biggest tournament to date and a lot of awesome names on the ATP side of the draw. Uh, my new favorite, Kyrgios in, we got Nadal, we got both our Canadians, Shapovalov, Ojeel Asim, we've got Rublev, we've got Medvedev, um, we've got Sissipas. So I'm really excited for this. On the women's side, not quite as familiar with the draw, even though it's happening about 10 kilometers from here. The big heartbreaker for Canadians is it looks like if Leila Annie Fernandez wins her first match, she'll be up against Bianca, who got a bye to the second round. So we've got a pretty good chance of seeing Canadians in the third round on that side of the draw, but prepare your hearts for that. Come next podcast, we'll have plenty of updates on that. Excited to watch, to prepare, to give those. And let's not forget Bianca, right? Well, two years ago now, this was her time where she turned it on and hopefully she can recapture some of that success from the Rogers Cup in 2019, now National Bank Open in 2021, and the U.S. Open where she had that big breakthrough Um and hopefully she can put on that kind of performance this year. That would really put a cap on quite an exciting 2021 for Canadian sports. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even, I think, about winding the clock all the way back to 2020 or 2019, excuse me. It's really just about winding the clock back to last April or this April, where at the Miami Open, another hardcore surface, she was able to grit her teeth through the finals her hardcore play has been great this season and with these players who excel on hardcore you always scrutinize coming into clay and grass season is this going to be the year where they bring their performance on those cards to the level they're able to on hard and it often isn't but her hardcore play has given not a lot to question at her most recent tournament so it's really just a question of health i think for how far Bianca can go, hopefully not participating in the Olympics and not getting particularly deep in any of the most recent tournaments gives her the time she's needed to rest and recover and playing on Canadian soil just gives that extra bit of determination. We weren't able to get the press passes to watch my apologies. Ah, Are you still thinking about going? Uh, the tickets are rough past like the second, third round. Fair, fair. Yeah. I imagine because of the capacity constraints as well, everything is going to cost a pretty penny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Entered into all the free draws. So okay, we'll see if something pans out. That would be electric. Um, yeah, we shall see. Another time then, you and I, maybe we have a chance to connect down the road and attend the National Bank Open in Toronto. Uh, or Montreal, either or, I'm down, Uh, we shall see. But until then, we will move into our last segment. I debated actually throwing this at the top because it is, has been a massive story. I already mentioned it, the Toronto Blue Jays, nine and two in their homestand, getting three consecutive series victories. Um, This one most notably important, taking three of four games from the Boston Red Sox who are they are actively chasing in the wild card race now three games back of them uh whereas they started the week like six and a half back so they are gaining some ground George Springer I already mentioned 
uh, in the last couple of podcasts, what, how he's been able to turn it on. But Jays down, I believe it was 8-4 earlier in the game. 8-6 now, bottom eight, launches a three-run homer, sends Rogers Center into a frenzy. Uh, this team is giving me major 2015-16 vibes with the run they're on right now. And that home run put the Jays up top. Jordan Romano closes the door, and they take it. They are absolutely rolling. Ten games over 500 now, uh, and, and they're definitely trying to chase down the Yankees, only one game back of them. Uh, the Red Sox, only three games back of them. And, of course, the uh, Oakland Athletics, I believe, who are holding the second wild card spot. They are only two and a half games back of them. Still seven games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, which is hard to believe. I think it's in grasp, but it's looking like the wild card is definitely an attainable spot for them to reach. And how fun would that be for the Rogers Center to host a wild card game? The last time the Blue Jays were in a wild card game, Evan Encarnacion with a three-run walk-off home run against the Baltimore Air Orioles, which absolutely lit up the city. And this team is very similar in the regard that they just produce offense so consistently uh, with the lineup really deepening out and they're finding some key contributions from role players that they weren't expecting. Um, and this team's just so much fun, man. At the very least, they have so much fun and the fans watching them are having so much fun. They're young. They dance in the clubhouse. They celebrate their home runs like no one else is watching. It is a great time to be a Blue Jays baseball fan. And hopefully this is only the beginning of a window that they can open up. If there's one more reason to watch them these upcoming days, they are in fact heading to Los Angeles to take on Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angels coming up this week. So looking forward to that so, so much. And it will definitely be on tap along with some summer league this week for myself in the sports viewing world. That's going to wrap it up for me, Max. I don't know if you have any more notes that you want to throw out there. Um, I, I'm super happy that we continue to do this meetup, talk sports. It's an opportunity for me to really get my thoughts out there. Not a ton of people in my life that I get to do this with, so it's fun. I'm looking forward. Uh, fantasy drafts for the NFL are coming up really soon. Looking forward to that. Um, I know August is a little bit slow, but it looks like we'll have enough to tide us over until we get to September and things are really gearing back up. Um, the wonderful thing about sports is there's always something to talk about. So thanks everyone for listening. Max, I'll throw it over to you. Likewise, always enjoy putting out my thoughts, hearing yours, learning a little more, being a little more influenced to keep my finger that much more on the pulse. Hope everyone listening feels the same way. I'll send it off with a question. Would you rather would you get more excitement staying watching viewing pleasure in golf or baseball? I thought about it today and I think my answer is actually golf. Let us know somewhere on the socials, Sports Next Door signing out.